0: Lord, as we look at the life of Moses and we consider all that was taking place with the children of Israel as they were in slavery in Egypt, I pray, God, that we would be encouraged to see that you call us to walk by faith and you give us the grace and the enablement to do that through the new covenant of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray today that As we open your word, that, God, we would see your truth, that it would change us. Lord, I pray that you would shine the light of your word on our life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You got your Bibles? Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to begin reading in verse 23 in just a second. Hebrews 11 and verse 23. I, I was thinking a lot this last week right after we got done with the passage we were looking at, we were looking at the faith. It's, this whole section is the faith of the patriarchs. You've got Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and now you're moving into Moses. Moses, I pray today that we would see so many wonderful things. You know, the, the one reality we, we see in this picture of Abraham and Sarah, in verse 13 it said they died in faith. And isn't it interesting that then when he moves into verse 20 and he talks about Isaac and then he talks about Jacob and then he talks about Joseph, we're all dealing with deathbed scenarios. It's fascinating to me because he could have used a lot of different places to highlight their faith and that was where the Holy Spirit led him to go. And so when we think about that, I want us to to realize that the truth that we are looking at comes out of God's word. In Matthew twenty-two thirty-two. 32, though, this really hit me. I want you to look at a passage, Matthew twenty-two thirty-two. 32. It says, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And then Jesus says, in this passage in Matthew 22, Jesus is, is discussing with the Sadducees who argued that there wasn't a resurrection of the dead. And in that passage, he alludes to the fact that he quotes, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And then he says, he is not God of the dead, but of the living. And when I got done last week on Monday morning, I was chewing on this and I was thinking about life and it hit me and I was like, wait a minute, what a beautiful passage that illustrates that God was faithful to keep his word. I love that because he says, he doesn't say, I am the God of the guy that you used to know as Abraham. I am the God of the guy that was the patriarch that you used to refer to as Isaac, the same way he refers to Jacob. And he goes on, and he says, no, he is not God of the dead, but of the living. And again, it's a reminder that God is faithful to keep his promises to us. Every decision, every interaction Every relationship, every circumstance, every mild situation, every big situation, every deathbed situation with relatives, all of it comes back to the reality, are we going to believe in the promises, in the character, and in the power of God? And if we believe in those, it will persuade us by the grace of God to act differently in faith. And that's what we see throughout this passage in Hebrews chapter 11. And what we're going to do this morning is start by looking at our text. And it says in verse 23, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents. Because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict, by faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch him. What we're going to do this morning is we're going to take the phrase, by faith Moses, and we're going to trace it through these verses. And what we're going to do is we're going to highlight each one and see what we learn from those phrases. To give you an idea of where we're going, because I don't have slides for you today, I want to give you the outline right here. So if you're taking notes, The first one we're going to see is by faith Moses was hidden. By faith Moses was hidden. The second one we're going to look at in the text is by faith Moses refused. By faith Moses refused. The third one by faith Moses left. And the fourth one by faith Moses kept. So Joy does a wonderful job, and she helped me out just then. So thank you, Joy. And when we look at this, twenty-three through twenty-eight, we start to say, "Okay, what is it about this guy Moses?" Moses is, by all accounts, you know, one of the most well-known names in the Old Testament. And we look at this, and we, we his life is one hundred and twenty years. Basically, and it's, it's carried out in three different sections of 40. The first 40 years are in Egypt, he's born all the way till the time that he flees to Midian after he kills the Egyptian. And then, 40 years of his life, from 40 to 80 years old, he's in Midian. At 80 years old, he's called by God to go set the people free, the people of Israel, to Pharaoh it's interesting because, I don't know, you know, a lot of times we have this idea, and it is. I mean, we value our youth, and we encourage all those that are young to take advantage of their youth. But I want to encourage all of you middle-age and up people today. Do you realize these are a lot of old individuals we're looking at in these texts? Your life is not over by the grace of God, and by the grace of God, finish well. I tell you, you know, sometimes people have a tendency to think, man, my life's gone. I went through my, my glory days, you know, back in my teens and, and college years and all the experiences I had, and, and now I'm, I'm a dad, and I'm getting older, and I can't do what I once used to do, and, and some people, literally, they begin to look at life in a strange way, but the people of God, the children of God, their hope is that the future never ends, And their hope are the things and the promises of God. So I want you to be encouraged to my older crowd today. And I want you to be encouraged that God is not done with you. He's not finished with you yet. Finish well by the grace of God. The first statement we're going to look at, by faith, Moses was hidden. You know, when we think of Moses, his brother was the high priest Aaron. His sister was Miriam. And we're going to see here in a moment that in Exodus chapter 6, verse 20, we see the names of his parents. And I love this because in this list, there's a lot of names that are known, but I love the names that people don't really know, you know? I love the, like in in Paul's writings, I love the guys like Epaphroditus. I love the people that are just what we might consider the little people of the world because it reminds you that in God's economy, those that are last become first. It's a whole different economy. The world values those with success, with athleticism, with ability to speak, with all kinds of things. But in the kingdom of God, the economy switches. The price tags change. Everything the world values now becomes secondary in the kingdom of God. And I pray we would see this. In Exodus 6.20, we learn that Amram is the name of his father and Jochebed is the name of his wife. I love looking at names of different cultures because they would just be as baffled as we are looking at names from their end as they would be looking at our names. But there they are, two individuals that trusted God, because Moses didn't act in faith under point number one, his mommy and daddy did. They acted in faith. And to understand the story, we got to go back to Exodus chapter one. So if you got your Bible, flip over to Exodus chapter one, and I'm not going to read the entire section, but I would really start in verse eight of Exodus one, and I would go all the way down through chapter two and verse 10. But basically, when you look at chapter 1 in verse 8, notice the the passage that really sets the tone. In verse 8, it says, Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. I love this because are you ever tempted to think that in all the chaos of your life that God just sometimes forgets where you are? I want... One of the things that is is so important when we look at the patriarchs is we're reminded of the sovereign providence of God. We're reminded, you know, today I was thinking about this, even this morning. Today, do you realize if you're a Christian, if you truly know Christ, do you realize that God has so orchestrated the details of your life that you came to saving faith? Do you realize all of the dangers and all of the things within your life you're not even aware of that God has protected you on over the years. I was talking to a good buddy, and, and, and we were talking about, and, and, and well, I, was talking to, I was talking to Andrew Hodges. And one day we were talking about just the human body, and he said, you know what's crazy? He's like, I, if you didn't know that God was there and real, you look at the human body, and you look at all the medical things that can happen in an individual's life, you realize we are a deck of cards about to fall apart at any second, if every organ and every design in our body doesn't function the way it is, it is not by accident that you are here today. It is under the providential sovereign hand of God. You look at this story and you go, how in the world did all these people, how in the world, going all the way back, how did they get there? How did they deal with all the circumstances of their life? And I pray that it would remind you that your life If you knew all that God knows, you would trust fully in everything that is brought in your life. Isn't it interesting? We come into a circumstance and a crisis, and we say, oh my goodness, if I could just be back on let's make a deal, door one, door two, door three, and I could pick a door, I would choose something else. But if we had the wisdom of God, in the eternal counsels of the mind of the Holy Trinity, we would never depart from what he has chosen for us. And it speaks to the loving care of God. I say that to you because I, I can preach that to you, but sometimes I get in life and sometimes I get in stuff that I'm dealing with and I start to doubt it. I start to doubt it. And so sometimes when I'm saying that, it's not me who has arrived trying to get you to catch up. It's me speaking to my own heart. When you look at these men and you look at these women, you're looking at a sovereign God who is carefully orchestrating and bringing them along all the way through. You may be at a crazy point in your life right now, but be comforted. God knows where you are. He knows where you are. He cares for you. He promises those that have trusted him by grace through faith that he will never leave you, he will never forsake you. You may feel alone. You may feel hurt. You may feel in the dark. You may feel hopeless, but God knows where you are. And we read here that Joseph, you know, we, we Genesis, at the end of Genesis, we see Joseph. Joseph's gone from being sold into slavery to being second in charge in Egypt. But his providential taking from Israel into Egypt or into the land that God is forming into the promised land, what happens is, is Joseph now becomes the very vehicle through which the children of Israel all end up in Egypt. And what takes place? They end up in Egypt, and they begin to multiply. They begin to follow the command that God gave, be fruitful and multiply. That was a command. And they were following the command, and they were becoming larger and larger and larger, and they became a threat to the leader of Egypt. The Pharaoh was threatened, and what did he want to do? The Pharaoh, in verse 22 of chapter 1, Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. And what takes place? Let's read these first eight verses in chapter 2. Now, a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman, and that is who we just spoke about, that is Amram and... uh Jacobed. I had to make sure I read that. I would have forgotten. And, and when we look here, we, we read in uh, chapter 2, a man from the house of Levi verse 2, the woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, beautiful child as often the translation, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket, same word used for Ark in Genesis 6. She took for him a basket. Made of bulrushes, and daubed it with bitumen and pitch, she put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the river bank, and its sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, "This is one of the Hebrews' children." Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him the Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses Moses, Because she said, I drew him out of the water. We'll see more about the details of his life later on, and even in a passage in Acts chapter 7. But here we see by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months. Initially, you look at this and you say, okay, they hid this baby, and the king had made an edict that all male babies were to be killed. Therefore, they were defying the order of the king. And we know from Scripture over and over and over that when the government defies the Word of God, we always disobey the government. There's no case for compliance. When we are told to disobey Scripture, we always obey God over man. And that's what's taking place here. They didn't listen to the king because they had a higher order, they had a higher law, a higher principle in effect. But notice here, it says, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden. It wasn't just that they did something that was scary or bold. They did it by faith, which immediately shows us that they had a heart to follow God, that they acted in such a way that they were persuaded to obey God. And that gets into some interesting discussion. Because in verse 23, I don't know if you noticed in Hebrews 11 when we read it, but notice how it describes the parents when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful. Now, that's an interesting phrase, and it's baffled commentarians, it's baffled pastors and scholars for years. What does that mean? Because I've never met a parent that thought their baby wasn't beautiful, right? Now, I don't think, I won't say that, (laughs) But, uh, but anyway, all babies are beautiful to mom and daddies, right? All babies, so when we look at this, we go okay what 's going on here? Is it just they thought their baby was beautiful? Calvin suggested he 's one of the ones that 's thrown his uh thoughts into the uh, the pot, so to speak, and he he suggested that maybe God put a mark on this child it's very fascinating what was unique about the child? Was it just that he was beautiful and it, it was like he was stunning in the way that he looked because we know that Saul was a handsome man, and we know that God looks at the heart and not the outward appearance. So what is going on here? I can't tell you for sure. I can just tell you that it's very fascinating. Some people suspect that the face of the child glowed. Some people suspect that there was just this sense that God had given the parents that this child had a unique Role within the people of Israel and their redemption from Egypt. I can't tell you what it is, but I love reading this. We read this, and you know, is it possible? You know, the Jewish historian Josephus said in his writings that the parents received divine revelation from God at his birth, knowing that Moses had a role to play. Now, we know God did that many times in the Old Testament, it doesn't tell us that it happened but we wonder. We're suspicious, aren't we? We're very suspicious. The passage that I want you to look at really quick, go to Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. And in Acts chapter 7, we learn about a lot of things in Moses's life that are helpful to look at. And I want us to run through these verses real quick. Starting in verse 20 of Acts 7, at this time Moses was born and he was beautiful in God's sight. Now that's interesting. He was beautiful in God's sight, beautiful in God's sight, beautiful in the parent's sight. And he was brought up for three months in his father's house. And when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. So what do we know from comparing the two texts that God providentially allowed his mom To be the very one who nursed him over that first period of his life. But then he went into Pharaoh's place. And what happened? He was trained. Here's a man that would have been taught the things of God from his Hebrew parents, but here's a man who was skilled in the things of the Egyptians because of where he lived and how he was taught. In verse 23, when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. You know this story maybe from Sunday school, maybe you've never heard it, but he basically sees a Hebrew, Hebrews being messed with by Egyptians. And what happens in 24? And seeing one of them being wrong, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. And this would be the circumstance that would lead him To flee where? To Midian for 40 years. But what do we read in the next verse? This is the pivotal verse I want you to see as it relates to this beautiful child. Verse 25, he supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. Now, isn't that interesting? That is before the burning bush, That is before the burning bush experience as he leaves to go to Midian. So what's happening here? It is possible at least through looking at Acts 7.25 and looking at the words we see in Hebrews 11 to at least speculate that God had indeed given the parents knowledge. Therefore, he had this knowledge that he was going to be used as a human instrument to bring salvation to the people of Israel from their foes of Egypt. So we got all this stuff going on here. But what had God revealed in order for his parents to have faith in? It's possible God had revealed that Moses would be a deliverer. They acted in faith to that. Therefore, they hid him faith by faith by faith. That's one possibility. But another one that we can't forget are all the promises that God had given the people of Israel. And do you realize this? Genesis 3, the promise of the seed that would come, Messiah, would come through the line of Eve. Genesis chapter 12, the promise that God would bring a lion through Abraham, give him a land, give him a nation, bring a blessing through his loins. And then we get into Genesis 15. And what does it say? This is fascinating. In verse 13 of Genesis 15, the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs. And will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. You know what's exciting is that these people dared to believe that God was speaking the truth. I love it because here, here is these this mom and dad. They lived in a culture of death, literally. When it gets into the the plagues of of Egypt. Every one of the plagues was was calling out the so-called Egyptian gods. Every plague counteracted the lie of what the Egyptian people believed. It was a culture of sin. It was a culture of death. It was a culture of darkness. And yet here are two people that live within that culture and instead of adopting the cultural views of life, and of religion, they believed in the God of Israel, and they believed his word. I tell you, it's amazing, because even in the way that they sought to preserve their child's life, yes, they did it because he was beautiful. What that exactly means, we're not sure of. But one thing you can take to the bank, all those people who were of the God of Israel believed in the Imago Day. And what is the Imago Day? We are created in the image of God. We are created in the image of God, and every human being has dignity and worth because he's created by God. So therefore, they saw their child not as an accident. They saw their child not as something to be disposed of, but he is valuable. So many implications for all that we could think of in our world today, isn't there? We look at this, and they, they, they sought to protect. They knew that he had a future. Therefore, they better fight like crazy to make sure that it lasts. They better fight like crazy. Isn't it interesting? Faith is not passivity. Faith is action. They acted on it. It, didn't, it doesn't exclude the means. Faith is, is, is in, in motion. They were persuaded that God had a future. I love this. You know, you'll hear people say all the time, I'm worried about my kids' kids. I'm worried about my kids and the direction they're going. But we got to talk different. We ought to talk different we have a future and a hope. (laughs) We shouldn't talk like defeatism. We ought to be like, oh, I can't wait for the future my kids will have because all the promises of God are yes in Jesus Christ. And this mom and dad in the midst of Egypt enslaved, they saw that their precious baby boy had a future because the promises of God were to be that the people had a future isn't it interesting? When we get discouraged, we got to ask ourselves, are we looking at the temporary or the eternal? When we look at the temporary, it's doomsday. But you know, you keep going through here. So they're trusting in God. They're persuaded to believe God had a plan. They're believing in what God had said, possibly believing in what God had revealed. All of this, though, it reminds you of James chapter two, faith without works is dead. Faith, Faith turns into action. So all of this goes through, but the second thing we see, not only by faith was Moses hidden, number two, by faith, Moses refused. What did he refuse? Let's look at verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater Wealth and the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Remarkable passage. Why is it such a big deal to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter? I heard one, one guy say it would be similar to saying, referring to the Duke of York, the son of Pharaoh's daughter. It would have been prestigious. It would have been, you know, money, possessions, accommodations, everything you can imagine that would come with the prestige of being assigned to this Pharaoh's family. And that's exactly what he gave up by faith when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. I love this. And it goes back to the question of like, why would he do this? Well, I think it goes back to the very reason his mom and dad acted in faith. They believed in the promises of God, and I fully believe with all my heart that Moses knew the promises of God, and he believed them. Think about it. If he believed that the children of Israel would be on an exodus out of Egypt, why would he want to stay a part of a family of a culture that was passing away? Why would he want to be a part of the judgment of God? Isn't it interesting? When it comes to this world, so often we're tempted to do what? Love the things of the world. We're tempted to love the things of the world and we lose sight of the fact that the world will pass away. That First John, as Charlie read this morning, all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life. It's not from God. This is of sin and it's of darkness. And yet here's the thing, i tell you, and I challenge adults, sometimes adults listen better when you challenge teenagers, but I challenge you teenagers, what are you looking at? What do you love? What you love will determine what you do. If you love the things of the world, don't be surprised that you go the direction of the world. But if you love the things of God, you'll be persuaded by what God says is true and it will affect your activity in the present. Isn't it interesting? It goes right back to, I find it fascinating because before I'd ever studied this passage, I didn't realize how many times you would go, oh, like Hebrews 11 one says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. You're believing that what God is telling you about the world is true. You're believing what God reveals about sin is factual. You're believing it, and it's affecting the way you look at the temporary fleeting pleasures and lust. Of the world. You see, if you look at the world and you love the world, don't be surprised that you go after the lust of the world. You go after the lust of the world, what happens? You buy into a lie, you buy into deception, you buy into deceit. But what happened with Moses is that God, by his grace, gave him vision, vision to see the unseen, vision to see the realities of the promises of God. And he believed it and it affected the way that he lived in the present. There's so much we could talk about. I love this because I was thinking about guys like Adoniram Judson, who could have been successful in the ways of the world. Guys like Jim Elliot, who died January the 8th, 1956. Yesterday was his anniversary of his death. His famously said, Jim Elliot says, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. You see, Bill Wallace of China, David Brainerd, William Carey. You could go on and on and on and on. And what happened? What would make them at a young age give up money, success, and fame because they saw something greater? They recognized, as we saw earlier, they were aliens and strangers. I tell you, it's convicting, isn't it? I think it takes one to know one, so when you understand the allurements of the world and you understand the temptations to really get overwhelmed with making this our home, we all know what that's like. But what we see here ought to encourage us, because God has a better way. And his word is using, I love this because it reminds me of a locker room setting. In a locker room, I was thinking about, man, whether you played basketball, football, um, I never played baseball, so I don't know how that works. But but all these sports, you've got locker rooms. I've been in a locker room, I figured, I think over 275 times before games, going back to second grade through college. And you get in that locker room, and what you hear in the locker room is not meant to be theoretical. It's meant to affect you in the game when you walk out. That's what we're doing here. We're looking at this. We're, we're, we're people of flesh that have been indwelt by the spirit. And now God is calling us to say, church of Jesus Christ, there's a better way. Don't be enthralled and don't be overwhelmed and don't grab onto the world. The world's passing away and look at your family album because it's filled with other people who saw the truth and did it the way that honored God, by the grace of God. Isn't that that fun? He understood that These pleasures of the world were fleeting. They're fleeting pleasures. He believed in what God had said. He understood that he was going to face opposition. You see, think about what this would do. They're going to go through disappointments, the people that the author of Hebrews is writing to. They're going through disappointments. They're going through persecution, and they're overwhelmed. And it's as if he says, hey, pull up a chair. Let's look at the family album, and let's be reminded of all the people in your family line that have gone through disappointment and have gone through persecution. But remember, they saw something greater. That's what he's doing. He's calling them along. Second Timothy says, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted they, they, they were choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God. I love this. They would rather be in solidarity with the people of God than to be friends of the world. I tell you, that's tough. You know, if you're in high school, you know, a lot of times the, the, the enticement of being in the popular group the enticement of being in the clique, the enticement of being cool is so appealing. But here, Moses had all of those opportunities. He was going to be a big wig in the status and the culture of Egypt. But he said, no, that means nothing in the eyes of God. I'd rather be identified with the people of God and the nothings of the world, the way the world looks at it, than ever be identified and fascinated with the things of the world. Amen. I tell you, I think that, that, that makes us say, "Amen," because we know the struggle. We know the struggle. If we didn't know the struggle, we'd just be trying to pounce on people, judging them, right? But we know the struggle because we fight this mentality of loving the world. But Moses saw, no, I'd rather be mistreated. I'm going to refuse to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. I would rather be, and I'd rather be known, and I'd rather be in solidarity with the people of God than the fleeting pleasures of sin. You know, it's interesting. Mistreated means to suffer affliction. It's in the present tense. Persecution is the idea. It's like a pack of dogs on somebody, you know, in a hunt going after, going after something. And that's exactly what persecution feels like. When, when people are on your trail and they mock you, they make fun of you, they laugh at you because of your following of Christ. And that's exactly what Moses said. He goes, you know what? I got an opportunity to be on the who's who list in Egypt. I can have money, fame, notoriety, and everything. I'd rather be over here. I'd rather be in solidarity with God's people, made fun of and persecuted than I ever want that over there. And why would he do that? Because he recognized the fleeting nature pleasure and sin. You know what the word fleeting means? A time or season, transient, temporary, enduring for a while. It only lasts for a second, only lasts for a season. And he would rather, it says, take on the reproach of Christ. Now, what in the world does that mean? The word can literally mean the reproach of Messiah, I was reading different thoughts on this, and and one said, disgrace for the sake of Christ, and and, and basically the idea of being mistreated along with the people of God, that, that he would experience, it says here, that the treasures of Egypt, treasures are the riches in gold, silver, precious stones, and other very valuable things that are stored and hidden But when treasures of a nation are mentioned, they include all the advantages that may be derived from these treasures. In both respects, Egypt, while it flourished, was second to none. Moses was well aware of the treasures of Egypt, but he preferred disgrace for the sake of Christ or the sake of Messiah. It's amazing. God had revealed to them a greater way, a greater promise, a greater treasure. So literally, to be in solidarity with the people of God trusting in the promises of God would literally bring reproach on you because of that belief system. I tell you it's exactly the way it is today. If you I've told you this before, but I think a lot of you can relate to this, but I remember some of the greatest persecution my sister ever endured was in a youth group. A church youth group. Kids that profess Christ laughed and made fun of her if she sought to act on that faith in school. I'll tell you, it's interesting because a lot of people are comfortable with professions. They're comfortable with that. You want to be Christian, I'm Christian too. But the moment that people begin to be persuaded to follow Christ in the world, immediately a lot of people, even those that are a part of the visible church, say, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. I understand going to small groups. I understand going to church, but now it's going to affect me now here. But what happened? He took on the reproaches of Christ. He believed in the promises of God. He looked at it through the lens of faith. Let's keep going, running out of time here. The third one that, don't you love what Jesus says? He understood there was a greater reward. Jesus said, Remember Peter said, see, we have left everything and followed you, what then will we have? Jesus said to them, truly I say to you in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me, will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel, and everyone, I love this passage, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. Next week, we're going to continue with this and all of the promises we made it through too. I want, I want you to see something here. I was thinking about this. Um, one of the words that faith is, is, is tied to, it, it comes from a word called in the Greek, the transliteration is pitho. And the word pitho means to be persuaded. It's interesting because it relates. It, it comes down to, as the people of God... We get in his word, we pray that God would bring faith, because faith is a gift, and faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ, and and that we receive that faith, and what do we do? We're persuaded to act upon the word. I tell you, isn't it interesting that this faith applies to everything in life, from the most trivial to the most tragic? This morning, I was... uh, uh, I was taking Will and Abigail to church, and I, I really had a lot to do to go over, just making sure I had this in my mind. and And so I was, uh, I was like, you know, they're hungry. I got to get them something to eat before I drive them off at Sunday school. And I went through. I won't tell you what drive-through it was, um, but it was eight forty-four, and there was no one in line, nobody. And I was like, this is great. It was like it was like hitting a jackpot, you know. Like this is going to be the 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 steal of the year. It's going to be a one minute drive through experience, and and I was in the drive through for fifteen minutes, I think, fifteen minutes. And, and and I got up there and and literally I had j- been going. I, sometimes when I'm driving to church, you don't know what it's like to be a pastor's kid. Maybe you do. Your dad was a pastor, but sometimes you just sound really dumb. Because I was like, I, Abigail, will I, I got to talk this out? I got to talk some. So I'm talking. I'm basically. Preachers preaching their car. And I'm talking and I'm talking about faith and being persuaded. And I got in that window, and my flesh was just like, I wanted to be like, "What, what is going on? What are you doing in there? What what is happening? And they had something going on at the register. And it looked like they had recruited like nine people to try to fix it. They're all coming and looking and talking and back and talking to me. And in that moment, it was as if the spirit of God was like, will you be persuaded to follow me in this? Will you be persuaded by what my word says now in this drive through Because you know what? It isn't interesting. If we're not persuaded in drive throughs it's hard to be persuaded on deathbeds. This is the Christian life. It's constantly in marriage, in friendships, in relationships. It's saying, am I going to be persuaded in the course of my life? To follow what God is saying when somebody says something that drives me crazy, am I going to die to my flesh and say, "No God, you've got a better way. Your promises are true. I trust you. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to obey you. I'm going to walk with you. And so what happens is, is like in the Christian life, there are many, 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 many thousands and thousands and thousands of choices. And refusals, as Alistair Begg says, that we encounter every day of our lives. Choices and refusals. And one of the questions this morning, if you are making choices and you are making refusals based on being persuaded by the word of God, be encouraged this morning. That's not of you, that's of the Holy Spirit. Be encouraged. But I want to ask you, so many people, sometimes, I'm not saying it's you, but I want you to consider this. I sometimes talk to people and I wonder if there's been any choice or any refusal they've made in the last month over being persuaded by what God says is true. It's humbling, isn't it? You know, I want to encourage you this morning. And God has promised us so many promises. Just chew on these for a second as we leave. The scripture promises he will never leave us nor forsake us. The scripture promises he will conform us in the image of his son. The scripture promises that eye has not seen and ear has not heard what God has in store for, for those who love him. The scripture promises that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glories that follow. The scripture gives us all of these truths, but I don't know about you, but let me just get you in my life and in my heart and what I deal with I deal with something that becomes a trial. And you know what I'm tempted to do? My circumstances tempt me not to be persuaded by the character and the promise and the power of God. And one thing I'm trying to learn by the grace of God, and he's teaching me, he's teaching me. It's so easy to preach sermons. It's a lot harder to live the sermon, isn't it? A lot of times my biggest struggle is the moment I get in the car, driving down Broad Street. And the thing's going through my mind or somebody who's driving like they didn't have a permit. You know what I mean? Like you're going through all these things, all these things. But the Christian life is trusting in what God has said and submitting and being persuaded by what he said is true and it affecting the here and now in the response. That's exactly what you see with Moses. The only way, that he could walk through these first two by faith. Well, his parents, the only way the parents and the only way he could be refusing the things of the world was because God had enabled him to see a better way. You know, as we close this morning, how shall we walk and live in such a manner? You know, that's the question. It's not by trying to emulate Moses, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, or Joseph. I love this because I was reading a passage in the New Testament that Jesus said, you know, someone greater than Moses is here. (laughs) He was the greater prophet. He was the greater fulfillment. And what do we read in Hebrews 12 when we're done? Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you this morning for yet another reminder that you're faithful to your word. Lord, I pray, God, that we would, uh, we would recognize the reality of deception. We would recognize the reality of a system that is completely opposed to you, a cultural mindset that every culture the world has ever known has experienced. The reality of the seed of the serpent versus the seed of the woman, the, the spiritual seed that comes against the things of God and the people of God at all cost, But Lord, I pray that we would be encouraged today because as James says, you give a greater grace. You give a greater grace. So Lord, I pray today that regardless of where people are, I pray, oh Lord, that our hearts will have been persuaded of the truth of a better way in Christ. And we would look for that grace we would look to the Lord Jesus Christ. We would see that in Him, because He is supreme. He gives great grace. He provides a better way. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you'd stand with me this morning, you know, as we uh, as we conclude. Mike's going to play. Charlie's going to be in the hallway. As we, you know, it could be this morning, like, what? often the Holy Spirit will speak, and it could be that it's the things you're not being persuaded by right now that the Lord may be convicting you of. I love the way that God works in the life of his people because it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It's the kindness of God that sanctifies us, that works and brings us along because of the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. But today, maybe you're here and, and and you've never recognized the reality of the Christian life. And you're thinking, I don't, I don't know what I have, but it's not that. I don't know Jesus. I've never come to a place of being desperate where I saw my need of him and called out for him to save me. Maybe today that's you. And the good news is, right where you are, as God has spoken to your heart, you can believe in him. It's by grace through faith. Jesus says you gotta come like a little child. Little children, they don't have big words and fancy methods. They just call out what's on their heart and on their mind. And that's exactly the way that we call out to Christ. So today, maybe that's you. As Mike plays, just consider prayerfully what we've learned, and let's ask God that it would be seen in the way that we live. Let's bow your heads. Oh, to Jesus, I surrender. Oh, to Him, my freely I. true. we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that it doesn't return void. We thank you, God, for speaking the truth to our hearts and lives. And Lord, we thank you for all that we see in the lives of these patriarchs that just speak so much to our hearts. Lord, as we leave, I pray, Lord, that we would truly begin to think about submission to being persuaded by what your word reproves us of, what your word instructs us in, how your word corrects our lives. I pray, oh God, that we would see the, the, the truth and the good news of the gospel that you've given, that you truly have a better way and you've made that way for us in Jesus. Lord, I thank you for all of our guests today. I pray you be with them. I pray, Lord, that they would see the beauty of Christ, and and the wonder of the gospel. And Lord, we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You'd be seated just for one moment.